Please turn with me to Psalm 112. We're going to read through the 10 verses of that psalm first, and then we'll dive in um, to the overview for all the psalms of this section. As a matter of fact, why don't we all stand to read God's word? Um, I'll read it out loud, and you could just follow along. Um, as you read it to yourself, I'll read it out loud. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man, or in this case for this evening, the woman, who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Verse 2, his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Verse 5, a good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. Verse 10, the wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Lord, again, we are just so thankful that we know you are here. Lord, that you hear us, you see us, you love us, that you chose us, that you desire to use us, God. So I pray that you would speak to any and every area of our life, God, that we would seek you for that discretion, that discernment that we need to live out in these last days righteously. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. What does it mean to live righteously? It's not really a question we ask ourselves often. It's definitely not one that you're going to hear anywhere in the news or in social media, right? So I didn't even bother Googling it, right? What does it mean to live righteously? As a matter of fact, it's a term that we should be more about defining and, and really trying to figure out and applying, but the world is too busy trying to redefine and really undefine genders. It's too busy trying to redefine and really undefine family, right? And the list goes on and on of things that the world, quote unquote, is trying to redefine, but really its intention is to undefine it. It's to say, you know what? Those antiquated notions that are rooted in, you know, sexist, racist books like the Bible no longer apply to our generation, to our world, when the opposite is true. The reason that our world is falling apart is because it's moved away from the truth and the foundation of God's word. But I digress. <laughs> Tonight's main point was to answer that question, to see what does it mean to live righteously. A life of righteousness, what is it marked by? So we're going to look at these different psalms beginning in 107 and see the key words that stick out to us 
as far as what it means to live righteously. As I mentioned, Psalm 107, we'll read verses 1 and 2, and we'll skip around a little bit, and we'll see that the word that sticks out is redemption. A righteous life is marked by redemption. Psalm 107, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Jumping down to verse 6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Again, that idea of redemption. Verse 10, Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the word of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help them. Verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And jumping down to the last verses, 42 and 43. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Oh, redemption. How little we reflect on the fact that we are redeemed. Chuck Smith discusses uh, this chapter saying, we've been redeemed. Peter tells us not with corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's found in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Chuck Smith continues, you've been redeemed. You ought to talk about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We were actually in the bondage of sin. We were slaves to Satan. Paul said, who in times past walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that even now works in the children of disobedience, among whom you all had your manner of living in times past, as you walked after the lust of your own heart and your own mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 2, 2 through 2, chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. But from that disastrous state, the Lord has redeemed you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Ladies, remember that our redemption came at a price. May we reflect on it and may that spur us on to live righteously. Psalm 108 speaks of integrity. And I did um, search this word up in the dictionary, the online dictionary, it says that it is the quality of being honest, right? Integrity is the quality of being honest, having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. Some synonyms include rectitude, honor, upstandingness, good character, having principles and ethics and morals. Another one of the synonyms was righteousness, morality, nobility, and I liked these next three. High-mindedness, 
right-mindedness, noble-mindedness. So the idea of integrity says high-mindedness, right-mindedness, noble-mindedness. Like that verse in Colossians that tells us to set our minds on things above. The state of being whole and undivided. And man, oh man, is there so much division and brokenness because of the lack of integrity. Psalm 108, the first five verses, give us the context for this point. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth. I love that, um, that word, my heart is steadfast. In the King James Version, it translates that word to fixed. And the strong concordance tells us that it means directed or right in a moral sense. Do we have integrity in our workplaces, in our homes, in our friendships? Like when we tell someone, okay, I'll meet you at 7, do they think, oh, I don't have to leave my house till 7 <laughs> to meet with them? Or does our word bind us? Do we know that when we say something, we're being honest? That we're having strong moral principles as far as not allowing, you know, our children to get away with cheating on a board game, you know, or letting them win and things like that. Are we teaching them these, this idea of moral uprightness, having our hearts fixed that we might please the Lord? That's part of what it means to live righteously. Psalm 109, we'll pick up in verse 28 and we'll read through Verse 31, let them be cursed, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. Let my accusers be clothed with shame and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. Verse 30, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those who condemn him. I know for many of us going through that chapter was difficult. Hearing all the contempt and, and just the desire for judgment to take place on the enemies. But the psalmist eventually gets to this point of grace. And that's what I see there in that chapter of uh, the psalm, Psalm 109. Oh, don't get me wrong. It took a good minute for the psalmist to get there. He's filled with confusion and pain and desires wickedness to be judged. And when the psalmist turns his gaze to God, he can't help but to see grace of the Lord, even in this trial. He says, let the enemy be disgraced. But he knows that as he continues to focus on the Lord, the psalmist sees the grace of the Lord. And our lives should be marked by this grace. Do we allow him to show us who he is and to work through us his grace? The fourth point is holiness. We see that in Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, right? It's not a character that too many books are written about. It's not like, oh, the next ladies Bible study is going to be a character study on Melchizedek because there's really only one chapter dedicated to him in the Bible. And yet David um, Guzik's commentary on this psalm uh, ties in a lot of the context from that chapter. He points out the fact that this oath of uh, speaking of Jesus, that he will be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, is of God the Father regarding the Messiah, God the Son. He vowed that the Messiah would have an eternal priesthood, right? Not a temporary one, and that it would be patterned in the order of Melchizedek. As I mentioned before, that is only mentioned in Genesis 14. This account tells us that Melchizedek was not merely a worshiper of the true God, but he had the honored title of priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and it demonstrates that he was even greater than the patriarch Abraham because he was the one blessing Abraham, not the other way around. We also see Abraham gives him a tithe, and there's no mention of Melchizedek's genealogy, no father or mother mentioned. So again, just this idea of an eternal priesthood through Melchizedek. And there's more. It talks about it being separate from Aaron, right? This is before the Mosaic Law, before the temple, before any of these things. God was already establishing the priestly order, this pattern for Christ. This oath was so important that the author of Hebrews refers to it over five times, as was one of our questions there in the study. The church, and this was um, a quote by John Trapp, the church is collected and conserved, not only by Christ's kingly power, but also by his priestly mediation. This idea of our priest not only bringing the sacrifice, but being the sacrifice himself. Oh, the holiness of our Lord. Right? We know that the priests were set apart for a specific purpose to represent God to the people, but also to intercede on behalf of the people before the Lord. And here we see that we can share in this role too, with those around us, with those in our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, that we would be set apart in holiness unto the Lord, not just separate from this world, but separated unto God. Psalm 111 the truth, right? The truth is something so lacking in our society. And yet it's something that if we are to live righteously, our lives must be marked by. Verses 7 through 10 tell us, the works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. All of them. Verse 8, they, again speaking of all his precepts, stand forever 
and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Verse 9, he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. In verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Ladies, the truth of God's word is the only truth. It endures forever. It is timely and timeless. May we hold on to it. May we not allow our lens, our experiences to affect how we view God's word. But may it be the other way around. May God's words be our lenses and be what affects our view on everything else. That word verity, where it speaks of all the works of his hands, it means firmness, faithfulness, truth, sureness, reliability, stability, continuance, reliableness. And then again, it says it's truth spoken of, testimony, and divine instruction. True doctrine. If you're seeking some sort of direction, I pray that the first place you're turning to is God's word. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't think God's word is going to tell me yes to this job interview, <laughs> you know, or no to that car loan. But you'd be surprised how personal our God is. And just in the faithfulness of reading his word day by day, picking a book of the Bible, reading a chapter at a time, you know, maybe as, as we've been going through the Psalms, you continue in that, and maybe a Proverbs of the day. I know we're going through Exodus on Sunday, right, and First Peter on Wednesday, and just little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. The Lord, he wants to speak to us. He wants to help us and guide us, and he does so through his word, the truth of his word. Psalm 112, which we already read in its entirety, and kind of was the, uh, the jumping board, if you will, for this week's um, study. What we see is that a life of righteousness must be marked by endurance. We have to endure. It's not just good to be righteous at the beginning, right? It's not just good to be righteous for half the time. We have to have lives marked by endurance. And we see that word uh, repeated in verse Three and verse nine, wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness, there it is again, endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. Remember, we're here for the long game, right? And, and it's easy to think that, oh, this one little decision here doesn't really matter. Right? This one little compromise, this one little easy road, it's not going to make a difference. But in a life of righteousness, we must have that endurance, not just for the long game, but also for the little games, right? The little decisions in between, those little foxes, those little things that we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. May whatever it is that the Lord is convicting us on, may our righteousness, may who we are in Christ be enough to change our decisions if we need to. The seventh point in Psalm 113, we'll read together beginning in verse four. 
The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? In verse 7, he raises the poor out of the dust, and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap. In verse 8, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people, he grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Our seventh point in Psalm 113, it tells us they're out of the dust and out of the ash heap. Is our life marked by the things we are no longer a part of? We've been called out of dust, out of ashes, out of darkness, out of heap of rubbles, out of the world. That's another way of looking at dust. It's that same idea of when God took the, the earth, right? He took the dirt, he took the clay to form man. So the Lord has literally picked us up out of the miry clay, these ashes, this dust, and he's lifted us to a new position, to a new responsibility, to a new calling, a new home, and a new identity. We are now his. And the fact that we are his should be everything, right? Not just the most important thing, but the only thing that we are is that we're his. So if I'm a mom, I'm a mom for Jesus, right? If I'm a single person, I'm a single person for Jesus. If I'm working, if I'm employed, I'm a worker for Jesus. All the things that I am are for Jesus because he's the one who lifted me out of the dust and out of the ash. And I don't know if there's anyone here tonight who's maybe um, been struggling with, with things from the past, maybe something in our testimonies before we knew the Lord and the enemy is trying to bring condemnation to you. But I just pray, my sisters, that you would not allow that condemnation to rob you of who you are now, right? Of, of what the Lord has redeemed you for and that nothing in that old life would be tempting to you because only the Lord can satisfy us. Moving on to the next chapter, Psalm 114. We're going to pick up in verse 7. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. What I see here that a life of righteousness is marked by is understanding. Understanding. I love how this psalmist is able to convey all these historical events that happened in Exodus. And I love how it correlates with what we're going through um, during our Sunday teachings with Pastor Zach. This understanding of what the Lord has taught us through scripture. You know me, I'm a big uh, reader and a big proponent of Christian biographies. If you want to be encouraged in your walk, um, you know, pick up a biography about Elizabeth Elliot or about um, Amy Carmichael or George Mueller. There's just so many people that the Lord has done marvelous things through. And of course, his word, the things that he's done. Do we know our history and our heritage? When we have this understanding, we will want to be in the presence of the Lord. And when we're in the presence of the Lord, he grows our understanding. It's the sweetest um, cycle. The next psalm, Psalm 115, brings us to point number nine. 
A life of righteousness is sure. It is marked by surety because of the things he has promised us. We can be sure. So if he's promised us that he's returning and his return is soon, guess what, ladies? His return is soon and he's coming for us. Let's pick up in verse 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. Notice all these um, will, like what he will do. Notice the surety of the psalmist. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and small. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. Verse 15, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down in silence, but we will bless the Lord. From this time forth, forevermore, praise the Lord. There may be a lot of things in our world right now that we do not comprehend, right? That don't make any sense. Even if, if you just take a step back and you're like, okay, let's pretend we're all heathens and we know nothing of God's word. This still doesn't make sense, right? There's a lot of things that just logically speaking, um, cause and effect, like just all these little things that we're taught like, okay, A no longer, you know, two plus two no longer equals four without it being offensive to someone somewhere. So we can have surety. And you know what? The world is going to look on and they're going to wonder, right? And maybe publicly they'll like laugh at us, but individually there's going to be something about that surety that attracts them. Like, wow, you're so confident and you're so at peace and you like really believe what you believe. You're like, yeah, because God's word is like really true about what it really says. We can know that he will bless us, that he will return, right? Those promises and it was so sweet um, hearing the teaching of the rapture again by Pastor Raz and um, just that reminder that his promise is sure and we can be sure. Psalm 116, a life of righteousness is also marked by the non-negotiables. The non-negotiables. We'll pick up in verse 12 of Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Again, I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people, and in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Right? He's worthy to be praised, and he's worthy of all of our vows, and we will complete them. The non-negotiables, those things that the Lord has called us to do, called us to be, are non-negotiable, right? 
I think of Joshua where he's like, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to put away these idols from us. And these things are non-negotiable because of the Lord, because of all his benefits, because of who he is, because of that cup of salvation that he offers us, because of the glory of his name. Psalm 117, I see enthusiasm, right? We could read the whole psalm, all of Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Oh, I love that. I love the, the just all the exclamation points <laughs> in this little psalm. The enthusiasm, um, that idea of praise, that word better said of praise, is halal in the Hebrew. And it means to be clear. And I love that the original context for this word is of sound, but somehow they still apply it. They also started to apply it to color. So when a color is clear, they use this idea. And or even though originally it was about a clear sound, it means to shine to make a show, to boast, to be clamorously foolish, to rave, to celebrate. The idea also implies as in being given to marriage, sing, be worthy of praise, to act madly. And it's the same word that was used when David worshiped before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant was finally brought back to the people of Israel, right? And are we willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world because of our praise, right? Like a little kid that's so excited about something. Um, you get to hear so many stories from, um, you know, my dad talking about Ella, but you don't get to hear very many Tia stories. But she is just such an enthusiastic little girl, right? And she has so much joy about the littlest thing, and it's like, oh, look! And she just gets so excited. And I think of that, that sweet, innocent, and just genuine enthusiasm for whatever, right? It could be like a little pencil that you got her, and she just is filled with joy, like her, her middle name suggests. And I love that. I love that we can be okay with looking silly because of how great our God is. And it's a hard thing to do sometimes. I think especially like the older you get, you know, and the more you get made fun of for being enthusiastic, right? We tend to kind of like, oh, never mind. Things aren't as cool as I thought they were. But our God is so much more than we could ever imagine. May we be enthusiastic about him. May our boast be in him alone. Psalm 118 shows us the strength of righteous living. Right, Verse 14 and 15, we sang it earlier. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. We see here the strength, and it's not our strength, right? It's the strength of the Lord. We know that if... Jesus was tempted in every way as we were, and yet without sin, that same Holy Spirit power resides in us. The same opportunities that he had to go into the mountain to pray, to commune with his Father so he could be, you know, so filled with heaven that the things of earth wouldn't affect him, 
we can have this same strength. It's been promised to us. And finally, Psalm 119, we see the seeking, the seeking of a righteous life. And why do we seek? Well, we'll look at that. So in Psalm 119, there are several verses that talk about seeking the Lord, right? Right off the bat in verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Then again in verse 45, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Verse 123, my eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. So we continue seeking. If there's any question, any doubt, maybe there's something you're wrestling with, go to God's word for the answer. You know, um, we, oh man, I can't say recently. Maybe it was recently. But you know that whole COVID year that feels like a decade? <laughs> so I think it was only, not this last December, but the December before that we had a creation seminar. But I'm not sure. It might have been longer. A while ago, one time, <laughs> we had a creation seminar. And I love the way the speaker opened it up. He said, maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you still struggle with seeing evolution as true, right? Like maybe you've given your life to Jesus recently and because science has so promoted this idea of evolution, like it's really hard for you to let go of it and you're thinking, how is this creation thing even possible? And his encouragement was this, keep wrestling, right? Like if you're wrestling with the idea that God created the whole world in six days, keep wrestling, keep taking it to the Lord, keep saying, okay, I don't know about evolution. And I love that the Lord tells us, Come now, let us reason together, right? He welcomes our questions. He says, yes, seek me. And he tells us why in verse 176. The psalmist David says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And his prayer no longer is, God, may I seek you. But it's now he realizes, Lord, you've been the one seeking me the whole time. Seek your servant. And I think this is a prayer more than like just a statement. For I do not forget your commandments. Again, David did not want to forget God's commandments. So much so that he took every letter of the Hebrew alphabet as a reminder of how much he needed God's word. Ladies, we, our lives of righteousness must be marked by seeking for we have been sought. We have been sought. The Lord is seeking us. So whatever question, whatever issue, maybe it's not a doubt, right? Maybe it's this overwhelming feeling of loneliness. Maybe it's this idea that God hasn't kept a promise to me and he promised me this 10 years ago and it still hasn't come to pass. Whatever it is, keep wrestling with the Lord on that. Keep coming to him for his truth. Allow his word to wash you. Don't take those doubts to the world. Don't take those doubts to any other source but him. That is where we'll find liberty. That's where our hearts will be satisfied when we seek him and we seek him with our all. And if you notice, all the letters of, this, uh, of the outline, they spell righteousness, right? So it's the idea of redemption, integrity, grace, holiness. We see the truth. Endurance, out of the dust and the ash, understanding, surety, non-negotiable, 
enthusiasm, strength, and seeking. To live righteously is to live the life Christ has already purchased for us. It's just being who we are in Christ, who he saw when he gave his life on the cross for us. And I'll close with this verse, Ephesians 2.10, which um, we looked at in the beginning in Chuck Smith's commentary in Ephesians 2. He talked about what we were, right? He called us out of the earth, and then he tells us why. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, we thank you that any righteousness in us is not by our own merit. Lord, it's because of you. It's because of the fact that you are the good shepherd, that you are the vine, that you are the door. Lord, it's all because you are the I am that we can be righteous. So Lord, I just pray for my sisters tonight. I pray any questions, any doubts, hurts, Lord, that they would take them to you, that they would seek you and they would seek you with their whole heart, God. And they would allow the fact that they are redeemed, that they would allow the truth of your word to cover everything. Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight that has made a vow to you, and since then they haven't paid it, Lord. I pray that there would be a sense of urgency and every opportunity for them to pay that vow to you, God. Encourage us, Lord. Correct us. Strengthen us. Lord, if any have been uh, neglecting their time with you and in your word, God, stir up that hunger and desire, God, that we would not let today and without spending that one-on-one -on -one time with you, God. We pray for the sick and the hurting. We pray for those that maybe their thoughts, Lord, are, um, are just full of oppressive things of the enemy. Lord, would you free them? Please, God, would they meditate on your word? We love you and we need you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Believe it or not, we only have two lessons left. You are loved. Have a great evening, ladies.